0: Teaching cannabis business owners how to effectively manage all aspects of their business, increase profits, and get results. Welcome to Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick. Our expert host coaches you on the do's and don'ts of running your cannabis business with insight, advice, and war stories from the trenches from established leaders in the cannabis industry. Now, the host of Cannabis Solutions, here with the answers to make your cannabis business thrive, Kenneth
1: Burke. Welcome to Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick. I'm Kenneth Burke, and today we're joined by Miles Kahn, the owner of Buddies, a retail marijuana store in Seattle. Today we're going to talk about what it takes to start and operate a retail marijuana store. We have a great show for you today. Miles is also an attorney and an adjunct professor at Seattle University School of Law. Miles, welcome to Canada Business Solutions. How are you?
2: Thanks, Ken. forward to having this conversation with you and helping your, your listeners understand this topic.
1: Perfect. So, let's get started. What made you want to open a retail store, Miles?
2: Well, what, what I can tell you about that, Ken, is that it was not my original intent. I got involved in the industry in my function as an attorney and having met with and worked with dozens, literally dozens of, of applicants back in the early stages of I-502, you know, I started getting more and more intrigued in it as as a business. My history is, as a lawyer has always been in emerging industries. And the reason for that is I find a lot of intrigue and intellectual stimulation you know, an energy that you get out of, of do, working with something new. And this was groundbreaking, obviously.
1: Terrific. Now, let me ask you this. with With your legal background and all the clients that you've seen, what would you perceive as, say, some of the wrong reasons for someone wanting to open a retail store?
2: Well, the wrong reason, number one, far and above all the others, is for people to have the perception that it's a get-rich-quick type of scenario which it is not. When you really peel back the the layers of the onion and you understand the regulatory scheme and the tax ramifications, that is about as far from the truth as possible.
1: Got it. And what perceptions about the process did you have that turned out to be correct? And what perceptions about the process did you have that turned out to be incorrect?
2: Um, So the biggest one in terms of what the perceptions that proved to be correct, and in fact, They proved to be correct on steroids i would say is the difficulties in dealing in a highly regulated industry particularly a new one where rules are made they may or may not address the particular issue that they were designed to address and therefore rules then become changed and you're trying to build a business at the same time and things are changing as you go along all that creates frustration but on top of it costs money because you've now invested in trying to build your business based on what was initially believed to be the the regulatory scheme, which is constantly changing. You know, you kind of know that when you're in an an emerging industry, that there's going to be change and you have to be nimble. But in this particular case, it was drastic and continues to be so, quite honestly.
1: Understood. Understood. Can you give us some specific examples of what you faced?
2: Okay, so... The real estate issue is a big one. The banking issue is a big one. How do you deal with those? Well, you can deal with them one way today and as as an interim workaround, right, and say, well, you know, we, we don't have access to banking or we don't have access to... financing, even for real estate. Forget about for our startup business. And real estate is such a big part of this business because of the restrictions on where these businesses can be located. So you have state regulations and buffers around certain prohibitive uses. And then you have local buffers on top of that. And in, in, in many cases, you had moratoria. And you had to wait until they came out of that moratorium situation and then to see what new Scheme that the local municipality has come up with and then try to work around that. And then on top of it all, you have perception, right? So you have landlords who may or may, who may have compliant space that, that would be ideal for for opening a business. And, you know, you've identified, you spend time and money and energy identifying that local compliant real estate. And then you go to the owner of the property that has a big sign in the window saying for rent and you tell them what you want to put there and they don't want to rent it to you.
1: So, Miles, can you give me a couple examples of of what happened on the real estate side in dealing, say, with local governmental officials in order to get your permits?
2: Yeah, sure, Ken. Local officials didn't have a whole lot to do with the real estate permitting, but I can go back to... When I originally was granted the right to one of three licenses in the city of Renton here in Washington, and just in case people don't know, licenses under under the initial phase of I-502 implementation were allocated based on population per municipality so there were three licenses allocated to the city of renton there were more applicants than there were licenses therefore it went into a lottery system and i was fortunate enough to win one of the three licenses through the lottery system in the city of renton at that time i in order to apply for your license you had to have identified and shown some legal right to occupancy of a compliant piece of real estate. So it had to fit the state buffers, all the prohibited 1,000-foot buffers and screens, etc. So I had done that, and I had identified a landlord that was willing to rent it to me because part of my budget was not allocated to real estate acquisition in terms of purchasing. We always had a model where it was going to be rent. And so I finally, I had that. So we moved forward on that. But at that time, the city of Renton was still in a moratorium, meaning they were not ready to allow marijuana businesses in the city of Renton. They were in a sort of watch and see sort of situation where they were studying it, deciding you know where, if anywhere, they wanted to allow these businesses. From a legal standpoint, since I'll, I'll put my lawyer hat for a second, you cannot prohibit legal businesses in your municipality but you can make it difficult by saying where they can be and some of that includes unattractive areas where you can't really run a successful business you know not high traffic areas not visible et cetera, which makes you know part of your formula for you know building a traditional retail business difficult.
1: If I can interrupt you for one quick second what would you, yeah. then your what would your advice be to someone who's wanting to open a retail store or has a license and is where you were a few years ago? What would your advice be to them?
2: Well, I think in the initial stages, people had the attitude, and partially rightfully so, although it was certainly a short-term scenario, which is if you build it, they will come. You can put it anywhere, and people are going to flock to it because it's new and there aren't a lot of them. That was true for a blink of the eye. Okay. Right now it's just like any other retail business. Location, location, location. Got it. And unfortunately, Ken, the way the regulations are between the state limitations and then the city local marijuana zoning, it creates pockets of areas where these businesses are allowed. So if you want to have one in in a particular area, you might be down the street from another one, which then creates districts which the cities don't want. So some some cities have put buffers in between the two businesses, that they can't be less than, let's say, 2,500 feet apart, which further makes it difficult, but it reduces that sort of district area where they don't have, like, you know, the blue light district or something like that.
1: Got it. What great answer. Thank you. If you could give us maybe two or three traps for the unwary at the uh, early stage of the process.
2: Okay. Well, I'll toot my own horn a little bit here, which is don't think that you know everything Consult a lawyer, consult a consultant. There are consultants in this industry. Consult an accountant or other financial professional because this thing, this industry is very complex. What you need to know about it is more than any layperson can reasonably understand by themselves. In fact, some professionals don't even understand it unless they live and eat this every day. One of the areas. What as a, just as an example, is the tax treatment, the federal tax treatment. Because we are still in a federally illegal tax scenario, the business is considered fairly illegal. The tax treatment of your earnings is onerous. And there's a lot of people that went into this and they built out their sort of projections and spreadsheets and didn't understand that.
1: So finding the right advisors sounds critical. You as a lawyer obviously have a network of advisors. How would you Advise a layperson to go out and find the right people to help them
2: at this point, at least here in Washington and certainly in Colorado and to a lesser degree Oregon and Alaska, you know people are out there they're labeling themselves as canna lawyers or, or you know canna consultants. I would still urge people to interview these people. That doesn't mean that they're an expert. The industry has only been around for two years. And m- my mantra would be to ask them what they were doing two years ago and see if there's any sort of, you know, nexus between what they were doing then and what they're doing now, as opposed to that they just picked up a set of the regulations and decided to familiarize themselves with it. You know, see, you know, how, how they can really help you, what's their perspective on businesses and their level of experience, how many years have they been in practice both as either as an attorney or as an accountant because experience c- comes into play that's where you, you know you have to be creative here right we're we're in the wild west not just geographically but you know metaphorically this industry is is either we, we call it the wild west or maybe we're in the second inning of a nine inning baseball game it's that maybe the bottom of the first still there's still a lot you know to grow and a lot to, that's going to change and being able to foresee those things, you know, sort of draw analogies to other nascent industries would probably be really helpful as opposed to some attorney or an accountant who sees the, what they, we call the green rush and says, I want to get involved in that. I'm going to call myself a candle lawyer. And they've only been out of law school for two years.
1: Got it. Now, that's excellent advice. What about references? Do you think the industry is mature enough with these experts to, to really start seeking references and get references from these folks?
2: I do, Ken, and I think, for example, you know, industry associations, whether it be the MJBA or the Cannabis Alliance, are places that you can go to meetings to, to get those types of professional references. The people who come to those meetings are serious about being involved in the industry.
1: Very good. Well, thank you. We need to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the operational decisions Miles had to make in connection with opening his store and running it. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: We'll bring you more cannabis solutions after this. and clear while you life yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc is even hot proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah! Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me own crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc.
3: Hello and welcome, all you high-flying, die-trying, a Philly blunt for your friend, Hempsters. Every roach-smoking bong token, however, you get your THC can enthusiasts. All you rebels, individualistic originals, and outside-the-box ganja warriors. You chunky monkey, cherry-garcia, munchy-loving hamsters. All you captive earth surfers, astral travelers, and ganja-loving canosaurs. All you high-flying, wide-smiling, ganjarific cannabophiles. Welcome to everyone! Except Donald Trump supporters, because that's how I really feel. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com.
0: Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick, is back to help your cannabis business thrive. Only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: I'm Kenneth Burke, and I'm here with Miles Kahn, who's the owner of Buddies, a retail store in Renton, just outside of Seattle. We've been talking about what Miles went through to get his store open, now we're going to talk about what it's like operating his store. So Miles, how did you determine the size store that you wanted, the layout that you wanted, that type of thing?
2: Well, that was quite a process Ken and and to some extent, you know, it's limited by what real estate is available, but how you slice and dice and present that store is is something that's a, work, a you know sort of a process and a work of art. One I had a vision, right? Okay. I didn't want a little hole in the wall. Store, but I also didn't feel that um, some big, roomy, open, impersonal, cold. What would would be considered an emporium in the true sense of that word was the look and feel I was going for. Either, so I did find a space. You know, things that you have to consider is parking, expandability, neighbors, privacy to some extent. You know, in order to make people feel comfortable the ease of the customer experience so those are some of the guiding principles then what we did in our particular situation is we took we have a standalone building with a dedicated parking spot very fortunate not a lot of people have that and we had a fight for the real estate and I did that because of the location because of the real estate because of the 23,000 cars per day that passed by on the street that were located and partially about the address we'll talk about that later Uh, that's part of marketing and then I, I divided the store into two separate entities, two legal entities, two separate stores, two separate entrances, and that was done for a variety of reasons, mainly economic slash accounting reasons. You know, if you take the one store which is the licensed premises where you can sell marijuana, right, the, the the licensed product and anything necessary to consume marijuana, but that leaves out a lot of things. And remember, as we talked in the first segment. We're a federally illegal business, and we got a really deep federal tax hit at the end of of everything. So we we opened the second store, which we're calling our glassware and goodies store, which is not licensed. It's not subject to scrutiny of the state of Washington. It's federally legal, and there we can sell all sorts of paraphernalia, as well as things that you cannot sell in a regular store, such as swag, T-shirts, hats, etc., cannabis, themed games, you know, things that appeal to the cannabis culture, as well as to tourists, because cannabis is a tourist attraction now, You know, given that it's not legal everywhere. So we are located near the airport, and we felt that that would be to our advantage, and so far it has been.
1: So speaking of those two items, tourists and where you're located on the street, you mentioned 23,000 cars going by. Where would someone go to get the type of traffic study that they need in order to determine where they're going to locate their store?
2: Well, Those figures are available either publicly or privately. You can hire somebody to do studies for you. But they're also available right from your local municipality. And, in fact, I found that the city of Renton, the business development department, was very helpful in helping me with all the information, demographic information, that I needed about the city, their business development plan, the population, as well as legal issues, licensing permitting. So that the more questions you ask, the more answers you get. You may not like all the answers, but you'll get your answers and then you can plan accordingly.
1: Well, let me ask you this then. You mentioned the demographic information. Did the design of your store, was it driven by the demographic or did you have the design in mind and, and tailored it to the demographic? Almost a chicken and egg issue. Which came first?
2: I think that the, I don't know which one, whether it's the chicken or the egg, but it was not driven by the demographic. It was driven by the culture when I say that, I mean that I had a vision for this store one, in terms of the look and feel, and two in terms of the actual physical layout which was driven based upon my experience and that of others who I've spoken with anecdotally and directly about their experience in going into other stores. You know, we were not one of the first stores open, so you know, in some ways that's a curse, but in some ways it's a blessing because you get to see what came before you and what succeeded and what didn't succeed. What I felt was that the customer experience is the key to having people come back. And there's several factors that go into the customer experience. One is the look and feel of the store. Two is the tenders. Three is the product that you carry, the price, the information available, how they're interacted with. So in terms of the layout of the store, I did not, contrary to all advisors, store design consultants and space efficiency layout type of experts, did not, want a linear feel to the store where you have you know cabinets lining one side of the store with people standing behind them and there's one way in and you go down the assembly line there's one way out i mean a lot of my customers work at Boeing and they deal with that assembly line mentality all day long here we, we set things up which is not the most efficient use of space but nonetheless gives the best customer experience where it's more of a free flow environment
1: speaking of that you mentioned your bud tenders you know, how did you determine how many employees you would need? What characteristics did you look for in your employees? And what advice would you give to someone opening a retail store when they're going out and they're interviewing people and starting to hire people for their store?
2: Yeah, the number of employees is a moving target. And I was fortunate enough to be able to secure the services and advice of an experienced management team. I had never run a retail store, certainly not a retail cannabis store, not many people have. Right, But there are some people out there that have expertise. So I was able to secure a senior-level consultant as well as a store manager who had opened two of the top stores here in, in Washington previously, and they were ready to move on to their next. And in fact, we've been able to secure a long-term relationship with them because we do have plans to expand, and they're part of our expansion team and offering management services and consulting services to help people build out new stores. But their advice to me was that you're better overstaffed than understaffed, even though it's an economic issue because you never want a customer coming in stand standing there being untended to, okay? And you will ramp up your store X percent each month. This is kind of tried and true. You know, as long as you're in a decent location and you have a store that people like, it'll ramp up 20% per month for the first six months. Yeah, that's 120%. And uh, you'll ramp up your staff along with it, but you'll start out a little bit top-heavy.
1: Got it. Now, is there any reporting hierarchy amongst the employees? Do you have team leaders, or how did you decide to structure that?
2: Yeah, we do. So, you know, it's myself as owner, then we have our senior consultant, then we have our store manager, then we have two supervisors, and the rest are our bud tenders. So it's a it would be a rare occasion that I would be dealing with an employee issue although I am here all the time and my door is always open and what have you but we're trying to keep the the hierarchy as you said so that you know an employee would first talk to a supervisor and if the issue can't get resolved we talk to a manager
1: Got it Now let's move from employees for a second and let's talk about operationally in store the things. First mm-hmm. I want to ask you, you know, how did you pick your point of sale system? What was important to you in picking your platform?
2: So again, as we're in a nascent industry, there's new products coming online all the time. And they put these flashy presentations in front of you and what have you? And you have to balance the fact that hey, there could be something new coming along the line which is great, as against the tried and true, hey, we've been using this for a year or a year and a half, and it's been great. They've adapted to some issues and changed it, and this is now a very well-tested, reliable system. So that goes for point-of-sales, and we ended up using GreenBits. There are other things out there There may be more things that come out there in the future. In addition to GreenBits, we have our PayQuick system You know, for people who are adopting PayQuick, which is a growing demographic. PayQuick's doing a great job of having in-store presence to help people sign up, take advantage of the cashless environment, which is the only way to do it right now. So that's good for everybody. It's good for the customer. It's good for us. So that takes care of our sort of our payment system, which, you know, then... Goes right into the banking area, right? You know, some people don't have bank accounts now. I'm talking about people in this industry, stores, producers, processors. I'm getting deliveries from people, and they're asking me to write checks out to their individual names because they can't get a bank account for their business, or they have a company called ABC Seafood Company, but it's really selling marijuana, right? Because they're basically right. lying to their bank about what type of business they are.
1: There's a lot. There's of a that.
2: lot of that, and you know, it will work itself out over time. It's a bit of a challenge right now for everybody involved, and And, again, it's another area where PayQuick has come into sort of the stopgap solution. You know, we have plenty of our vendors now, our our processors, who are on the PayQuick system, and we could just do that uh, simultaneous transfer. Don't have to worry about, you know, quarantining product or anything like that, the the immediate transfer of funds from from our account to theirs and release of product, and it's been working out really well, and I'm starting to see more and more adoption.
1: Well, certainly appreciate that. What would you ask if someone came into your store with a different point of sale system or platform or, you know, the new gimmick, you know, what questions would you ask them when they came in, when they tried to sell you?
2: Why should I switch at this point, right? What makes yours better? Is it compatible with other plugins that are such as PayQuick, right? That are in the environment already in use. How much does it cost? Is it competitive, right? I would think that somebody new coming into the marketplace would want to make their pricing attractive to try to get adoption which was not the case in some of the ones that I saw and you know when they come in a month before you're ready to open your store that's not the time to try to change systems you know you, you're ready set up you're invested in hardware and, and software and You just gotta go with what you picked initially, and and later on, if something proves to be useful, then, you know, you might consider it later on. You you would have to retrain staff, potentially buy new hardware or or software. Uh, I saw a new system today that that came on called Grasshopper Hub, which is uh, sort of a platform for seeing what's available from producers' processes. It doesn't do the transaction, but it solves the issue of having a million producer processors coming into your store at random times trying to sell you stuff here you go on you see what they have if it looks interesting you can order a sample you can schedule for them to come in and i think it's great the industry has to innovate and software is the key to innovation
1: got it. Well, that sounds like a really interesting platform to use. We need to take a break right now, but when we come back, we're going to talk about what Miles does on a day-to-day basis to keep costs down, maximize his profits, and what he's got in store for us in the future. We'll
0: bring you more Cannibosis Solutions after this. (sighs) Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges.
3: You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com.
0: The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Voober vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry
3: flower pens.
0: It's time to hem Hempresent, only on Cannabis Radio. Cannabis Solutions, presented by PayQuick, is back to help your cannabis business thrive. Only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Welcome back. We're talking about how to open and operate a successful retail marijuana store with Miles Khan from Buddies, a retail marijuana store in Renton. So Miles, we, we talked earlier about how difficult it is to get a bank account. You'd touched on that. You know, how did you find your bank account?
2: Well, when you say bank account, let's backtrack a second. There's different Bank accounts that are available for different market segments, and then there is some bank accounts that is really difficult to obtain. So, I had, I'll tell you a quick story that I went initially to open a bank account, and I knew the problems getting a bank account, the difficulties, you know, having worked with clients previously. And I was trying to aggregate investment money from my partners for opening the store. And we formed an entity for that purpose, which was going to sort of be a holding company, right? It was not going to be the entity that ultimately operated the store. And I went to several banks. And finally, I went to a bank, I think it was called Washington Federal, and with a copy of the Cole memo from the Justice Department saying that it's okay for banks to take accounts in this industry with a bunch of provisos, of course, which you know very well, Ken, and the branch manager of the Washington Federal closest to where I was, thought about it a little while. He says, okay, I understand your situation. This is really a real estate deal. We're going to take your account. And he took six different checks and we put them into one account. And 36 hours later, I got a phone call from him. He says, we got a little problem. Our bank regulators you know, reviewed this, the underwriters rather, and said that we can't keep your account, I'm going to have to uh, give, give you a check for your and close the account. And I went through it again with him that this is just a real estate deal. And I go, yeah, but you know, they looked up your UBI number, which is you know, the Secretary of State identification number, and saw that you were related to another entity at the same address with the same principles, and that entity has applied for a marijuana license, and therefore we're not going to take your account. So I go to the bank, and he hands me a check, a bank check, for the amount that I had deposited. And I said, gee, thanks, great. What am I supposed to do with this? Where am I supposed to put this? It was made out to my corporation, right? Where am I supposed to put this account? I opened an account with you. I don't have another account. Oh, geez, didn't think about that, right? And then you know, I had to convince him to you know, give me back the money into my individual name, so at least I could put it in an account until I found uh, a bank that would give us an actual account. And then I through industry connections found out that Timberland Bank, which is a Washington state chartered but federally insured bank with a good number of local branches here in the in the South Sound Seattle area, were friendly to I five oh two accounts. So I went down there and I spoke with them and they agreed to open the account for this real estate company. Did not talk to them then about the license store, didn't need an account for it yet it wasn't an issue. So When it became an issue, uh, you know, I had already sat on panels with the president of Timberland Bank, and it became clear that, yes, they're active in the banking, the cannabis industry, but with limitations and restrictions and requirements. And the, the way that we were able to assure ourselves of a bank account was by signing up with PayQuick, because they take the compliance burden away from the... The banks, And that's the biggest issue for the banks from a liability standpoint, a fear standpoint that the feds might come in and give them a fine, that they're not meeting their requirements as bankers to know their customers and other things that are much more technically defined, particularly in the compliance field. So PayQuick has taken over that aspect for the banks and now the banks are giving bank accounts to cannabis companies who are working through PayQuick.
1: Well, we certainly appreciate that. We've had a terrific experience with Timberland Bank as well. We've only got a little bit of time left, and so what I'd like to ask you now is what are your plans for the future with your store? You've got some extra real estate around your store, maybe in the back. Tell me about your plans for the future.
2: Well, we do have plans for the future. We are creating Buddies as a destination, not just a pot shop. It it happens to be a pot shop, but we're trying to create a model similar to the Hard Rock Cafe, where people go there because it's fun to go there, and there's a unique experience as opposed to that they have a great hamburger or even that they may not even eat there. People just go there and say, hey, I, I checked out the Hard Rock in Seattle, and they buy themselves a T-shirt that says Hard Rock Seattle. And, you, you know, and they have one that says Hard Rock Miami and another one Hard, Hard Rock L.A. And that's what we're trying, trying to create with buddies, a, a destination that happens to be a pot shop. So there's plans to expand both locally and nationally when that is available to us by creating a model of a store that will be replicated, the look and feel of it. Of course, we're using this first one as our proof of concept, and I think so far we're we're going down the right path.
1: Lovely. I think creating your store as a destination more than just a pot shop is terrifically appealing, and I think that will really help you in your uh, future success. Last question, who's Buddy?
2: Okay, so Buddy, you know, everyone thinks that I just did a play on the words, you know, from a Bud, right? Created some cartoon caricature, but Buddy is actually my grandfather, who was a band leader in a famous club in New York called the Latin Quarter, dating back to Prohibition. And then we took an actual photograph of him and created an iconic figure, which is being identified with our brand. And, you know, our our whole store is musically themed. It's working out really well. We're That's building good. a stage in the back of the store. We're going to be hosting the, the launch of the Willie Nelson brand here at, at Buddies, and, and you know, maybe with some of the other celebrity brands coming up too.
1: Perfect. I can't wait. That sounds really exciting. Well, listen, I want to thank Miles, owner of Buddies in Renton, just outside of Seattle, for joining us today and sharing with us his war stories and the lessons he's learned with regard to opening and running a successful and profitable retail marijuana store. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Cannabis Solutions presented by PayQuick. I hope you found this show useful and have learned something to help you in your cannabis business.